Ladies and germs, we are back. I took last week off, wasn't feeling it. Want this to be fun for me and for you, so forgive me. We are in the first unit of the World Studies pod class, looking at culture uh, and considering what it is and how it influences you and how it forms and how it changes, right? It's a very fluid thing. It's anywhere you go when you, and it, like the situation is if you have a room of two people, at least, they will start to develop their own culture, their norms, uh, religion, perhaps, language, uh, all these different elements of culture. We are in looking at religion. I picked four world religions, Buddhism, Hinduism, today's going to be Islam, next week's going to be Christianity. Not trying to convert you to any one of those things, but more so thinking about what wisdom can we get from Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, and Christianity. Islam, my approach to this week is going to be more so, I think Islam is very misunderstood and like people don't really, you're potentially, let's say, your average American doesn't really know a whole bunch about Islam, right? They see Muslims for sure. If you're an American, you are aware of Muslims and it's not always good. So something might be going on in your brain. Like, well, what is this, man? Like, why are there people doing what they do in the name of Allah? And like, who's Allah? And what is a Muslim all about? Keep in mind, I am not a Muslim not an expert in Islam. I am a so high school social studies teacher who's done research and who teaches a honors level world history course and just a dude who likes to think, right? So please don't like freak out if I get some things wrong. Calmly tell me and then we can have a discussion. But I want us to have an understanding today essentially of like what is Islam what makes a Muslim a Muslim? And then there will be, I think, there will be a discussion um, on jihad and its interpretation and how it's viewed around the world. So sit back, relax, and let's get a better understanding of Allah. When I mention that, if I were to say like that person's a Muslim, what type of person do you think of? Do you tend to think of? As in like ethnic. I think a lot, if you were to ask an American, like when you think of a Muslim, what type of person do you think of? I think a lot of people would say like someone who's from the Middle East or someone who's Arabic. Why? Well, that's a good question. Uh, my first guess, and again, I'm making up this scenario. So when I say like, well, they would say someone that's Arabic and like, right, I'm making this up. That's my guess. And my theory would be uh, media and what's gone on in the news lately. Someone who is from the Middle East is not, that does not make them a Muslim. Someone who's Arabic, that does not make them a Muslim. In fact, most Muslims... Do you know where they live in the planet? In Asia. A lot of like Southeast Asia. There's almost a billion Muslims in Southeast Asia. Um, there is in the Middle East and in Northern Africa. So again, like when you think of the Middle East, Northern Africa has fairly similar culture in the sense of religion to the Middle East, um, they they have about like three over three hundred million Muslims. 
you have more Muslims in sub-Saharan Africa, so spread out, an increasing number of Muslims in Europe, and an increasing number of Muslims in North America, uh, not a whole bunch in Latin America. But most Muslims on this planet live in Asia. And so again, why, if you were, when I say like, what type of person do you think of when you think of a Muslim, if you think of someone that's Arabic or from the Middle East, again, like there are so many, there are a lot of different ethnic groups in the Middle East. They're not all even technically Arabic. Um, that, like that, that's a, I think a decent question, right? Something decent to think about. When you think of, if you see someone who is from the Middle East, are you like Muslim? Because that's not necessarily the case. There are Christians in the Middle East. So this, and I, I say this to get the disconnection between Islam Islam and an ethnic group. Islam is a religion, obviously. So when you say like a Christian, you don't see like a white person and you're like, oh, that's a Christian, right? And if I'm saying this and you're like, this is obvious and like borderline offensive, okay. Um, I don't think it's, a. I wouldn't say it's offensive. I would say like, we're like, we are at ground zero, like base of what is Islam. It is a religion. It's not an ethnic group. So again, you see someone from the Middle East that doesn't immediately mean that they are a Muslim. Most Muslims live in Southeast Asia. When you see someone from Southeast Asia, you probably don't think Muslim, right? Islam is a religion. Now, how did it start? Islam, and like, this is, I I think people don't really, some people don't even have like a grasp on, I mean, like, Hindus, Sheikhs, Muslims, Buddhists. Like, I don't know if a lot of people like have a lot of knowledge on these different religions. So that's why we're doing this. Islam is a branch off of Christianity, which is a branch off of Judaism. So Muslims believe that like they are on board for the most part of like prophets that are in the Old Testament and think like Jesus was a prophet. Um, They don't think that Jesus was God on earth. That's what Christians believe. Christians believe that like Jesus was the son of God. Muslims are like, yeah, he said a lot of cool stuff. Like, no, actually. Um, What distinguishes, and there's five pillars to Islam, but Muhammad, the prophet Muhammad, that is, I guess, the bread and butter of Islam, right? In 7th century AD in Mecca, Mecca is in Saudi Arabia. So if you need like context of geography, think of Egypt, right? And then northeast of Egypt, there's this huge peninsula that's mainly desert. That's pretty much Saudi Arabia, right? So that's where we are right now. In the 7th century, in 610, you have this guy named Muhammad who is a religious man. And Saudi Arabia is a lot of like nomadic merchants at the time. So people who are traveling around, selling things. Um, Muhammad is within that culture and he is religious. So he takes some time, like goes out into the desert, like finds a place and is meditating. While he's meditating, and I've read different things that he hears. I've heard like a full-on sentence. I've also read that he heard a voice say, proclaim. And the angel Gabriel visits him. And over, I believe, over an extended period of time, Gabriel is going is, gives him the message of Allah. And Allah is God. So like the God that... Christians believe in, the God that Jews believe in, 
it's not like I guess you can't say it's like the same God because like a Christian would say like that God sent Jesus on the earth but they're saying like God right Allah through Gabriel gave Muhammad a message Muhammad wrote down that message he records the words of Gabriel who's speaking for Allah God and that is the Quran so that is the holy book of Islam now to distinguish something the Quran to Muslims is like the literal words of Allah right like Muhammad is the prophet he received the message of Allah like the final prophet received the message wrote it down the Quran is incredibly holy to them then like Christians and the Bible which is their holy book it's you would say like God inspired like people write it's like Paul wrote a bunch of letters this dude Paul wrote a bunch of letters about like what the church needs to be all this stuff people wrote down like the gospels and the story of Jesus and it's said to be like God inspired but it's not like Christians don't view the Bible as like literal words from God they think God is like was the spirit was within the people that were writing it right so it's right everything's like in there perfectly but like they don't you can for instance like you can put a bible on a coffee table and even like put a cup of coffee a mug of coffee on top of the bible right like maybe someone would be would find that offensive for muslims the quran is incredibly sacred because like think they it's pretty much allah when I say Allah, that's Arabic for God. So it's not like a different God. It's another word for God, Allah. So 610 AD, Muhammad hears the message from Gabriel and Gabriel speaking for Allah. You now have, like, if you believe that Allah, or sorry, Muhammad, the prophet Muhammad heard the message of Allah and like wrote it down like do you think he is a prophet that starts to gain traction not so much it also leads attention in like Mecca and other areas because like Muhammad's gonna start to say like there's only one God and like calling out these cultural things that are around Saudi Arabia at the time like Mecca that people are not gonna be happy about and there's going to be conflicts. Muhammad and his followers are going to get pushed out. They're going to fight. And Islam is going to spread. Why? Two reasons. One is people hear the message and they're like, yeah, I vibe with that. The other one is it spreads through physical, like, hey, we're going to uh, spread by force. And if you want to be a Muslim, cool. And you pay less taxes. And people are like, okay. Um, but like looking at a map from Saudi Arabia it starts to spread out into like Syria it spreads out into Egypt and to northern Africa um, it's going to spread into Europe that is also where you have a bunch of hardcore Christians that's they're experiencing um, their like beginning of like the medieval times so this is where we're gonna get into think of like a wave Islam's gonna crash into Europe and then it's going to recede a little bit and it's going to like move forward a little further and like there's going to be constant fighting between Christians and Muslims trying to spread their religion if you think of it like a board game there if you think of even like an alternate universe like there was a possibility that Islam could have won out if we'll call it that in Europe at the time and then I mean who knows butterfly effect all this stuff but like the Europeans that started to travel to the Americas, a lot of them were doing it for religious freedom to escape like persecution because of the Reformation and like stuff going on with Christianity. And then like people like in America is a Christian or like founded, founded as a Christian nation. There's a chance it could have been Muslim. 
right? I mean, butterfly effect, you can't say then like, well, if Islam spread, everything would be the same except they'd just be Muslims. It would not be the case. But interesting to think about, right? Like there are so many Christians here and like me, I was raised up in a Christian family. It's like, well, could have been Muslim. Something to think about. Islam does not spread super far into Europe. Uh, it is more prevalent in Eastern Europe, like right um, in Constantinople. So that spot right between Europe and Asia around Turkey. But Islam's going to spread either by people vibe with the message or by physical force. Now, 23 and from things that I've seen, about 23% of the world is Muslim and there are predictions by experts that it's going to be the most popular religion in the world by the end of the century. And when I say like most popular, I mean like the most amount of people. It's not going to be like win the popularity contest. Like rank your favorite religion. And again, the Middle East holds about 20% of the Muslim population. Asia has like 60 something percent. Now, another key distinction, we're going to get into the five pillars, but there's um, these two factions, we'll call it, of Islam. And you have Sunnis and Shiites. A Sunni and a Shia. So, perhaps you've heard of them. They are in the... (laughs) They've been in the news. Uh, There's a lot of conflict between these two groups. Would both consider themselves to be Muslim? It's not exactly like Catholics and Protestants. um, But you have Sunnis and Shiites. More Muslims in the world are Sunni. Like 87 to 90% of Muslims. And then 10 to 13% are Shia. The distinction. Oh, and most Shia Muslims live in like Iraq, Iran, Pakistan area. What's the difference? Well, Muhammad eventually passes away. And then the question is raised, like, well, who's going to be the next leader? Um, and not necessarily like prophet right muhammad is like the final prophet so they're not like finding another muhammad they're just like well we need someone to make decisions here you have two choices you had two groups one group believed that the rightful successor was his father-in-law and another smaller group thought his successor was his cousin and son-in-law that is the original difference the sunni who believed that the father-in-law was the rightful successor successor got their way and you like it wasn't a major major split or faction um but what ends up happening as we see with a lot of things in history the arguments lead to physical conflict physical conflict leads to further tension uh, and further distinction. And here we are now in 2020 and they do not always get along. So there are more Sunni out there who believe that his father-in-law was a rightful successor and like successor. I can't say that. I, I guess I think I'm going to, I'm trying to say successful. Anywho, that's who the Sunnis are. They think the father-in-law was the successor. They win. I'll put that in quotations. There's way more Sunni in the world. They are in conflict. Like a lot of the conflicts going on in Iraq was between Sunni and Shia and it has been violent. That like that's that's one of the weird things about humans, right? Like even Christians. You you would think that like everyone in regards to like Christianity, like they're like, Hey man, we're all under the same religion. We're all child or children of God. And we're all down with Jesus. But it's like, but you believe this one thing that we can't vibe with. And then blah, blah, blah. And we clash and we argue and whatever else. It's just humans. Um, like Kendra and I were just talking. We watched the movie, the witch. And we're like, 
thinking about the Puritans. So the Puritans left Europe for religious freedom so they wouldn't be persecuted, right? They're like, we want to be able to express ourselves. And they go to America and like create these colonies in New England. And then it's like, (laughs) we're going to escape religious persecution and celebrate religious freedom. But then if you're going to be here, you have to be our specific type of Christian. There's some, would that be irony? I don't know. Hypocrisy, perhaps. Anywho, Muhammad dies and then there are splits. There is a split. Now, what makes you a Muslim? The basics. You got the five pillars of Islam. And if you profess to be a Muslim, you are expected to follow the five pillars. Like it is not really a negotiated thing. It's almost like the Ten Commandments in a sense. Uh, but we'll see. So the first one is Shahada. But again, I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly. That is essentially saying that there you have to confess and profess that there is no God but Allah. And Muhammad is in fact the messenger of Allah. So like you have to say there's only one God. That's Allah. And Muhammad did in fact received the message from Allah, of Allah, from Gabriel. If you are down with that, you are one step closer to being a Muslim. If, for instance, you're like, okay, um, I believe in God, but like, I don't know if Muhammad like literally got the message from Allah, then like, you are not a Muslim. Part two, Salat. It is the ritualistic prayer. Like you may have seen um, people that are Muslim will lay out a little, it almost looks like a yoga mat and they will do different poses, if I guess you'll call it, positions. And it's like this ritualistic prayer that you're supposed to perform five times a day. And if you are in more uh, conservative Muslim areas, there will be a uh, like almost like a siren that goes off and like someone speaks through the prayer and like you are expected if you are a Muslim to stop what you're doing and go through the prayer. That's Salah. Everyone, there is a separation between men and women and everyone should point to Mecca because Mecca is where Muhammad was from. So if you are a Muslim, You have to say Muhammad, or you should say, Muhammad is the prophet, Allah is the only God, and you should perform Salat, which is the ritualistic prayer five times a day. Next, Zakat. You are expected, as a Muslim, to pay a uh, tax, I guess we'll call it, I believe the number is 2.5%, which you need to give to and donate to those that are less fortunate. Give to the needy. So like if you are a Muslim, you must give money to those that are less fortunate. Like, well, that doesn't seem violent at all. Like, no. Right? Like, stereotypes of what we see like what we see Islam what we see of Islam and of Muslims you might think like violence and whatever else and like perhaps there is a part of the religion that is violent which we can get into but like for the most part like what are we dealing with right now what makes you a Muslim Uh, you think Allah's God, you think Muhammad is a prophet, you pray five times a day and you donate and you give money to those that are less fortunate. Not that bad, I would say. Psalm, S-A-W-M. Now that is, you are expected during Ramadan, which on the Muslim calendar is the ninth month. It changes. It's not like the same. It's not like it's the ninth month. It's like September, right? It the Muslim calendar is not the same as the n- normal in quotations, 12 month calendar during Ramadan 
from sunrise to sunset, you must fast. And that means like you can't consume tobacco, uh, you cannot eat, you cannot drink, you cannot perform sexual acts. And they said also like you shouldn't sin. I mean, like ideally you're not sinning at all, um, but you should be in prayer. Like, I don't know if you've ever fasted before. I haven't really fasted, but w- there's a few reasons to do it. One of the reasons being that when you fast, it's like you're sacrificing something like, okay, I'm doing this for a purpose. And every single time you get those little rumbles in the stomach, you're like, oh, geez, I'm hungry. It should be like, okay, that's a reminder that like I should pray and I should like start to reflect. It forces you to think more, I guess. So if you are a Muslim, you are expected during Ramadan, no matter where you are in the world, to fast while the sun is up. So, fingers crossed, like selfishly, that Ramadan happens in the winter. You know what I'm saying? Because then it's like shorter days of the year. Like, nice. Like what? The sun's setting now at like 5.30? Maybe sooner? Summer, like sun's up at 5.30 in the morning, sets at like 9. It's a lot of time to go without eating. It's totally possible too. Last one, Hajj, H-A-J-J, you are expected as a Muslim to make a pilgrimage to Mecca. If you are physically able, you are expected to go to Mecca at some point. Those are the five pillars. There is like way more to being a Muslim, right? And a lot of that comes from the Quran in ways of living. Like for instance, you might see women that are Muslim wearing the hijab and that is translated to like a cover. Um, and I got this, this is an excerpt from the Quran. So like a question would be like, why do women do that? And there's even different uh, types as in like how much they cover like you could show your face some of them you only show like your eyes some of them they even cover the eyes definitely don't show the hair definitely not showing curves right it's a way to cover yourself up think of like when you see a nun she's covering herself up right she's trying to live modestly when you see a nun do you freak out a little bit and again, if like me asking that is not offense, I don't find it to be offensive. These are questions like I ask my students, like when you get on a plane, let's say, and you see a woman wearing a hijab, a cover, do you get a little nervous? If a woman is wearing a hijab, that means she's a very conservative Muslim. Now, in some areas in the world, they're like force people to wear the hijab. If a woman's living in the United States, like a Muslim woman, again, like she could feel pressure to do it. But in the United States, you have a choice. So if a woman's wearing a hijab around here, like that is a proclamation of faith. It's almost like wearing a cross around your neck or like a nun wearing whatever a nun wears, whatever you want to call that. That's the... That's the same type of thing. Now, I looked in the Quran via the internet. I didn't like find the Quran. And found this passage that would like help us understand like why do Muslim women do this? Quote from the Holy Quran from the Prophet Muhammad in words of Allah. Say to the believing man that they should lower their gaze and guard their modesty that will make for greater purity for them, and Allah is well acquainted with all that they do. Unquote. So, the man should lower his gaze. So, like, don't stare at a woman and, like, at her physical form, essentially. Lower your gaze. Like, the 
mentality is like you are trying to keep pure thoughts. So if you see a woman, like don't look at her curves because what is that going to do? Like that just brings in impure thoughts. So your responsibility is ma'am to not look. And another passage, the next quote or the next verse, I suppose, if you'd call it that quote and say to the, to the believing women that they should lower their gaze and guard their modesty and that they should not display their beauty and ornaments except what must ordinarily, ordinarily appear thereof that they should draw their veils over their bosoms and not display their beauty except to their husbands. So, end quote. So a Muslim woman, when she's at home with her family, like she does not have to wear the hijab. She can like show her hair and show herself for like who she is. But when she goes into public, the mindset is like you don't need to be showing yourself to other men pretty much. Now, men, like your responsibility is to not look, but like for the woman, cover yourself up. Like hair is a big one for us in Western society, like non-Muslim Western society, like hair is not seen as anything really, but for other cultures, like showing your hair is like being naked. Now, how conservative you want to get about this there are a lot of different interpretations. Like I watched a documentary about ISIS. So like definitely not the best um, reference, but like you got, you had cops going around in that area with like AK 47s. Uh, they're pretty much like the Quran police, but there was a name for him. And this dude sees another guy with his wife walking and he like pulls the dude over. He's like, what do you like? Is your, or like, are you trying to like whore your wife to everyone? Like why look at her dress? She's showing her ankles. And for me, I was like, whoa. And then the cop, the Quran cop was like, tell her to cover her ankles up. Right. So that's where we get into a lack of separation of church or mosque and state. By the way, a mosque is like the church for Muslims. It's the holy place. But the hijab, when you see a woman wearing a hijab, the reason is, is because she is covering up her body and saving that for her husband. Now, there's a whole bunch of other cultural stuff that I, I even got into in a previous episode of like women staying home. Um, we'll get more into Islam and liberty. So like the question being, should you force a woman to wear a hijab? Like, or does she have the choice here? But I think it's important for like, for you as the listener to understand, like when you see a woman wearing a hijab, that is a conservative woman who is doing it to, out of love for her husband, of like trying to not show off her curves for the whole world to see. I show my students this cartoon and it's a blonde woman uh, walking and she's in pretty much like a bikini and walking by a woman in a hijab and the blonde woman is looking at the woman in the hijab and saying everything covered but her eyes. What a cruel male dominated culture. Cause like the woman's wearing it because it says like, Men tend to look, so cover yourself up. So it's like, well, why do I have to cover myself up Like when it's the man's problem for looking? So what that blonde woman's saying is everything covered but her, eye, but her eyes, that's a male-dominated culture. And then the woman in the hijab is looking at the woman in the bikini saying nothing covered but her eyes. What a cru-. She's wearing sunglasses. She's saying nothing covered but her eyes. What a cruel male-dominated culture. Essentially saying like, why... Do you, as a woman, and again, whatever you want to believe, go for it. But like the mindset is like, why do you show off your curves? Like, do you do it for attention? Like to make you, does it make you feel better? You could dive into that one, right? And I would like, especially like if you're a married person, like, are you like showing off curves? And if so, why? 
Because, like, as a husband, like, if my wife wants to wear, like, yoga pants or, like, a V-neck shirt, I'm not going to be like, no, you can't wear that in public. I'd be like, if it makes you happy, like, go for it. Trusting that my wife isn't doing it to, like, get a bunch of guys to look at her and, like, feel good. Like, she just wants to wear what she wants to wear. Is there a right way to go about it? I do not know. I'm not about to... One, can't even do it. I can't make my wife wear a hijab, and I wouldn't want to. And even, like, not like the hijab, as in, like, that's what Muslim women wear. I'm not going to, like, make my wife wear, like, really loose clothing and, like, cover her head up. So, you know, like, that's for me to look at. Like, But a woman... Wearing that is a conservative woman. We should keep that in mind. Now, the next and final term that we're going to look at is jihad. Jihad is translated to struggle. There are two, from what I've seen, two interpretations. There is a war or struggle against unbelievers or is the spiritual struggle within oneself against sin. So, this is from a passage, this is not from the Quran, but it's like a good explanation of jihad. As a principle, jihad means sacrificial struggle. At its basis is the commitment to sacrifice of self and personal interest in order to seek God-given aims. It includes the struggle to protect the weak in society, to guard and strive against oppression and injustice. Carrying out the principle of jihad can take many manifestations, such as speaking out against tyranny, placing one's goods and physical strength in the service of the poor, writing and scholarship, or simply the striving to overcome one's appetites and weaknesses and personal obstacles, end quote. That doesn't seem that violent, right? That's almost like that's jihad is the struggle for good, the struggle against oppression. And if anything, like even if you're not by like daily fighting against tyranny and depression, the least you can do is strive to overcome your appetite and weaknesses and personal obstacles, like the struggle within yourself. I found a quote that I believe is from the Prophet Muhammad. Again, I'm not an expert, but he said, the greatest jihad is to battle your own soul to fight the evil within yourself. So if jihad is struggle, this concept that Muslims have is your jihad is to struggle against sin and sin is wrongdoing. And like to think about that, I think that's something we can all learn from. Like if we're going to do our let's get some wisdom from Islam, it's that a very clear path has been set for Muslims. And that is like the words of Allah through the through Muhammad in the Quran. And like there is a correct way to live. We'll call it like the way. And there is right and wrong. And we all struggle with doing the right thing. For instance, like even think back to the Buddhism pod class episode where we're saying like you have to have the right intentions like gossiping or just being cruel to someone we all in a sense I find deep down like know what's right and what's wrong and we all no one is perfect I mean, that's going to be like a key thing in Christianity too. Is like this idea that everyone struggles with sin. No one is faultless. No one has does everything correctly. And you can't find a single person on this planet right now that is perfect. And what Muhammad's saying is like the greatest struggle is to battle your own soul and fight evil within yourself. Like that's a conscious effort of after every single day. And again, like the greatest battle, like the best battle or struggle you can do is to fight the evil within yourself.
that's like that's a conscious effort to thwart out all the negative things in your heart which is really hard to do like you wake up every day thinking like okay I'm going to fight the evil within myself. And like that's also acknowledging, which I would like to point out, that everyone has evil within themselves. Something to think about right there, no? Like, I wondered, like, do you believe that? That like everyone has evil? There's the conversation that like, are humans more good or more evil or bad? Are we naturally evil? I mean, that's definitely an opinion. You could like support that with evidence and reasoning. If given the opportunity with no reper- I would think about it like this. If given the opportunity with no repercussions, would you be good? I... And like you individually, I think, because when I ask that to my students, some of them are like, no, I wouldn't be good. Like if if I could just do whatever I want, like I would not, I would not be a good person. Some of them are like, yeah. And for me, I, I'm like, sure. Like I, I'm sure you would be a good person, but like, Do we even know what it would be like to have no repercussions? Like, I can do whatever I want. I can say whatever I want with, like, no no punishment. Someone might get their feelings hurt, but, like, that does not affect me at all. Like, that goes to the fight the evil within yourself. Like, everyone has something in them that's not good. And even this like concept of good and evil. Like what is good and what is evil? It's weird. This would be something that I would really be interested in looking into more is this concept of good and evil is what is considered to be evil is that like the same across most if not all cultures who again it's not like our products of globalization like perhaps there is diffusion amongst cultures and they've been influenced by each other but a lot of cultures their norms and values or predominantly values are based off of thousands of years of like oral history and religion and everything else right so you have all these different roots in these cultures like do they have similar ideas of what's evil if that's the case what's up with that is that Because, I mean, again, like, my theory then would be, like, that's because we're all human, right? Like, we have the same brains. Like, obviously, like we nature nurture, right? We are influenced by different cultures and or our culture, whatever else. But in the end, we're all human. Like, I think I think about this. Why is it that a bunch of cultures, like, created the pyramid? Different a little bit different pyramids, but like we all created pyramids. A lot of people created pyramids or that different cultures created a bow to hunt that did not know that the other culture existed. Right. But like a lot of early humans created very similar things without knowing that someone else on the other, on the other side of the world, like created something similar. It's because we're all human. Like there, our brain is the same. Anywho, that was a rant. But this concept of fighting evil within yourself. Now, jihad also has been used 
in this uh, interpretation of it's like a holy war or struggle against unbelievers. So like people who Muslims who are trying to kill other non-Muslims, infidels as they're called, or even like not their type of Muslim. So you got Muslim on Muslim action calling each other infidels and like trying to kill them. And they're saying like, that's jihad. It's this, I will kill for Islam and the best thing that can happen to me is I die fighting for Islam. That's like the peak. It's what all really extreme, well, I guess we'll call them extreme Muslims. Like that's what they seek out. Like the best thing that can happen for you is you die in the name of fighting for Allah. Now, another excerpt from the Quran that I think helps at least me understand this. Quote, Fight in the cause of Allah, those who fight you, but do not transgress limits, for Allah loveth not transgressors. And slay them wherever ye catch them, and turn them out from where they have turned you out. For tumult and oppression are worse than slaughter. But fight them not at the sacred mosque unless they first fight you there. But if they fight you, slay them. Such is the reward of those who suppress faith. End quote. So in the Quran again, which is like words from Allah, it's saying that if someone is trying to prevent you from practicing your religion, you have the right to slaughter them. Now, it also says, do not transgress limits, for Allah doesn't like transgressors, but if you can make an, like, make an argument, like, well, they are suppressing me, or they're trying to, or they plan on it, then you can justifiably under these circumstances like slaughter somebody and then like that's in the name of Allah and in this fight one it's an honorable thing to do and then two like you are going to fight to the death and like gladly give your life for that fight which is why we see people fly planes into towers. Like, it's the most honorable, in their mind, that is the most honorable thing they can do. Now, was, were the people in the Twin Towers like literally trying to stop those Muslims from practicing their religion? No. But there was probably an argument that like, the United States of America and Western civilization and culture is trying to suppress the spread and the practice of Islam. And therefore we have the right to slaughter them, like to declare holy war in the name of Allah and to slay. What is it? It says, slay them wherever ye catch them. And turn them out from where they have turned you out. If they fight you, slay them. Such is the reward for those who suppress faith. Right? So that's like the two interpretations of jihad. One is, so jihad is struggle. One is like the struggle within yourself to do good. And that's an incredibly honorable thing. Yeah. Two, the struggle against anyone who's not a Muslim with the mentality that if you are not a Muslim and you're an infidel, you are a part of the group that's trying to suppress Islam. And therefore, according to the Quran and the words of Allah, I must slay you. That is a fine line. I think and I have evidence to support it. Most Muslims are not of the mindset of like using violence and like being violent. In fact, from Pew Research, the question, some people think targeting and killing civilians can be justified in order to further a political, social, or religious cause. Do you feel that this type of violence can blank be justified? Often, sometimes, rarely, never. So you have to pick like, is using violence 
to further a political, social, or religious cause, often, sometimes, rarely, or never justified. Here's what we got. From U.S. Muslims, 84% of U.S. Muslims said it is rarely or never justified. 12% said it is often and sometimes justified. As compared to the United States general public, so you got U.S. Muslims and then you just got like the public, 83% of the public said it's rarely or never justified and 14% said it is often and sometimes justified. So more in like your general American public had was 2% higher saying it's often or sometimes justified to use violence as compared to just U.S. Muslims, American Muslims, which is interesting. So, and then like the 84, it's essentially saying like American Muslims are on the same page with the rest of the American U.S. population saying that violence is rarely or never justified. In fact, they are a higher percentage saying it's not justified. Now, if like we're going for jihad is in like the struggle, which was saying like, if someone's trying to suppress you, you have the right to kill them. You would think that the number would be higher. If people were like bugging out and saying like, oh, Muslims are trying to kill everyone that's not a Muslim. From this, again, like this isn't, this doesn't disprove that entirely. Like you could still think that. But that like, I would say like that does not seem to be the case. What was also interesting. Um, <laughs> I'm not, I'm I'm only showing numbers. I'm not even saying anything. You don't even know what my political affiliation is. I just found this to be interesting. When saying that violence is sometimes or often justifiable to further a political, social, or religious cause, Republicans or leaning Republicans, Americans, 21% said it is often or sometimes justified. And Democrat or Democrat leaning was 10%. So Republicans had a higher percentage say that violence is sometimes or often often justified to further a social, political, or religious cause than U.S. Muslims. Interesting. Now, when we look at Protestants, so like Christians, I I found this to be interesting. Um, white mainline Protestant, I don't know, like you got white evangelical Protestant and white mainline Protestant. Fourteen percent said it's oft violence is sometimes or often justified. Black Protestant was nineteen percent saying that violence is sometimes or often justified again they have a past of requesting change and not getting it so like perhaps that is connected to it um but muslims were lower than both of them just want to drop some more facts here percent who completely or mostly agree that they are proud to be american 92% of U.S. Muslims say that they are proud to be an American. That is equal with all, like, all these other groups that, like, like, they ask, were you proud to be American? Muslims are equally proud to be an American. So what am I saying here? We live in a land of religious freedom. We have Christians, Muslims, Jewish people, Buddhists, Hindus, atheists, whatever. All trying to live harmoniously amongst each other. With the trust that, like, I'm going to do me, you do you, and as long as you, what you're doing is not, like, hurting me, we're good. Like, that's kind of what America is all about, right? Everyone has, everyone's equal and has a right to life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, as long as it's not infringing upon someone else's right to life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. 
what we're seeing from this is Islam, like the five pillars are, like what makes you a Muslim is, and again, this is also, I find to be key. You think, you have to say that there's only one God and that's Allah. Muhammad was the final prophet. You have to pray five times a day. You have to give money to the poor. You have to fast during Ramadan and you have to make a pilgrimage to Mecca. There's no pillar that says you have to kill the infidels. The prophet Muhammad said that like the greatest jihad. And so this inter- this word jihad is where we find like a little wrench in <laughs> the, this religion, I guess. He said that the greatest jihad is to fight the evil within yourself. Now, there is a group, a small group, a small population of the large, large, large Muslim population on this planet that says that the jihad is to have a holy war against the infidels and anyone that is in theory trying to suppress the religion, which could be pretty much, you could argue is almost anyone. There is a cartoon that I saw that I liked and it was moderate Muslims holding up this like bomb <laughs> that said Islam. Um, and you have radical Muslims trying to light it while the moderate Muslims are like trying to just keep this thing from blowing up pretty much. And what I got from that is like within the Quran is something that can be interpreted of like, you have the right and the obligation to declare a holy war against anyone who's not a Muslim. And the best thing you can do is kill in the name, kill in the name of Allah and die in the name of Allah. That is an interpretation. And you have a very small percentage of the population of Muslims who are like, yeah, and they are going for it. And it's like making all Muslims look bad. There was a really nice uh, poll that Pew did too. And it's how concerned are you about extreme extremism in the name of Islam around the world? U.S. Muslims said they were very concerned. 66% said they were very concerned. The general public, 49% said they were very concerned. So like American Muslims are looking at this stuff going on around the world with Islam and like that concerns them. So what does that say? In our culture, when you see a Muslim, it would be wrong to assume that that person is like got a jihad, holy war mentality against everyone and you, if you are not a Muslim and like, if given the opportunity, would kill you. And again, if you're like, that's offensive. Yeah. (laughs) It would be incredibly offensive to think that. Like, what, is it offensive for me to say that, like, that's wrong? I don't think so. I think that, like, it's kind of necessary. Islam is a religion that branches off Christianity and is very conservative in the sense that like the Quran is the word of Allah and like that is that. The Bible can be left up to interpretation. Islam, it's like, no, what's the Quran say? That's what it is because that's the words of Allah. And the words of Allah say, pray five times a day. Muhammad's the prophet. Give to the poor, fast during Ramadan, and go to Mecca at least once in your life. Now, things that are said in the Quran, like you could dive deep into it, and like I don't know enough about like the intricate details of the Quran. But what I do know is we're looking at a religion with some beautiful people in it that like like there was a video of a Muslim dude. Someone kills his son and 
in the court, the Muslim father says like, I am called by Muhammad to forgive you. Not like holy war, whatever. He says like, I need to forgive you. And the greatest jihad, the greatest struggle is to fight the evil within ourselves. I think that's something worth thinking about, something worth acknowledging in regards to Islam. So hopefully, folks, you got a little bit better understanding as to what Islam's all about. When you see a Muslim, maybe you understand them a little bit better. That was the goal. Next week is Christianity. The bell's ringing. Christianity.